finding a place you belong, addressing sexuality as an occupational therapy practitioner. I am so excited to share my conversation with Tanya Peterson with you today. She truly carved out such a niche for herself as a result of experiences that she had during the pandemic. It is her story is so inspiring. And I, I know that you will find so much in it to light you up and inspire you today. Tanya has this incredible way of blending enthusiasm and her background in sexuality and relationship trauma to really help her clients evolve into their most passionate selves. What truly lights her up, and it is so evident in this conversation, is empowering clients to rediscover intimacy, foster emotional connection, and really achieve a fulfilling intimate life. As a sexuality and intimacy specialist with a knowledge in integrative couples and sex therapy, Tanya helps couples and individuals navigate this sensitive aspect of their intimate lives. Her approach is really rooted in empathy, understanding, and a deep respect for the diversity of human experiences. Tanya was recently a guest on Pelvico TPs United, which is my off-social media community, and she was just so passionate. I couldn't help but think, I want you on the podcast. I want to talk to you in more depth about how you got into this field. So pull up a chair. You're invited to join the conversation. Let's get into it now. New and seasoned OTs are finding their calling in pelvic health. After all, what's more ADL than sex, peeing, and poop? But here's the question. What does it take to become a successful, fulfilled, and thriving OT in pelvic health? How do you go from beginner to seasoned and everything in between? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are inspired OTs. We are out-of-the-box OTs. We are pelvic health OTs. I'm your host, Lindsay Vestal, and welcome to the OTs in Pelvic Health podcast. Tanya, what a joy. I am absolutely delighted to welcome you to the OTs in Pelvic Health podcast. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is honestly one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. So to be included is huge for me. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you so (laughs) much. (laughs) So I am really excited about our conversation today. So I just, I want to get right into it. Uh, You know, I've had the pleasure of hearing a little bit about your story before. You have been a guest on Public OTPs United, which is my off social media um, community membership program. And you shared with us a little bit about a pivot that you had experienced during COVID that really landed you down this path of becoming a sexuality and intimacy specialist, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And I can't wait to hear about the day and day, day in and day out of what you do. But would you mind bringing us all in a little bit into that background of that pivot and sort of why you went down this path post-COVID? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a a long and winding path. I think a lot of us have experienced that, especially as OTs, because there's so many different avenues and our scope is so big. 
um, and really finding a place where we feel like we belong. So my background is varied. I started off, you know, in acute neuro, I did some skilled nursing. I did peds for a little bit. I eventually actually taught in an occupational therapy assistant program. I was hired to teach uh, developmental pediatrics and then brought on as full-time faculty. In uh, 2019, I decided that I wanted to venture off on my own. So I actually opened up a brick and mortar play cafe. And as we all know, uh, 2020 brought some massive change and I'd opened originally in October of 2019. So I was only open for a few months when the pandemic hit and we were closed down indefinitely. And this was, you know, this kind of like my dream project. I had used retirement money to fund it and it was, a, you know, just a lot of work, effort and resources that I put into that business. So I was in kind of a, a funk, wasn't really sure what to do next, um, was exploring different options while I was home and, you know, homeschooling my kids. And I came across your course um, for pelvic floor therapy. And I was like, hmm, you know, that sounds kind of cool. So I dove into that and I ended up signing up for the Herman and Wallace lab one, but it ended up being canceled because of COVID. So that kind of put my pelvic floor OT plans on hold for a little bit. Eventually the world opened back up. And at that point, my business had changed. I had partnered with a therapy group who continues to use my space for an early intervention developmental program. So I have really nothing to do with that. They just use what I created, which is great because it was sitting empty for a bit with COVID. And so I decided that I wanted to start my own practice and focus on mental health. So I opened up and my goal was to treat trauma and just be a resource for so many who were suffering. And as I was kind of opening my practice, I saw this sexuality course on PESI actually. And I was like, hmm. So I dove into that. And then I was like, you know what? I could combine all the stuff I learned in Lindsay's course and the sexuality stuff and kind of create a niche for myself around sexuality and relationship trauma and intimacy and connection because there's such a, a need for it universally. Like everyone needs this. And there's nobody really serving it in this way. So I took things that I knew and I created a space for myself. And yeah, that's how I kind of got to where I am. I am, I just, I could hear that story a thousand times. There's so much to it, Tanya, that I find so inspiring. And I think it's no accident that during COVID, which was a time when I think a lot of us can relate to missing connection and feeling kind of a sense of belonging, that through that experience and that global pause that we all took, you found this and created this incredibly unique, but incredibly OT niche that resonated with you. And I think that if if this wasn't created during this time, you know, I'm not sure that you would have found such a perfectly well-equipped container for yourself, you know, to specialize in it. it I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a confluence of a lot of events for you that kind of led you down this incredibly creative path. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I never in a million years, you know, when I graduated or even within the first decade of my career would see myself here. I actually had no desire to do um, psych or mental health. I was actually very vehemently against it because I had a really terrible clinical rotation in a locked psychiatric unit. So it was not even on my radar. So the fact that I am where I am today, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty crazy and ironic. 
I love, I love that. I can, re- I can relate to that in so many ways. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. And then we end up feeling like it, there's no other, there's no other, there's no other identity we could have. Like this, this was it. And we had to come to it in this way. <laughs> yeah. Like we had to learn what we needed to learn and had to navigate the challenges to get where we needed to get. Cause like I said, if some of those things had never happened and as hard as they were in the moment, if they had never occurred, I wouldn't be where I am. And this is probably the most comfortable the most like I feel I'm like I'm where I'm supposed to be and I always felt not like that in traditional healthcare I always felt unfulfilled and like I was doing my best but also not really making a difference because I had to abide by you know the medical model and I was just I never felt fully fulfilled or fully comfortable in any other medical setting I had to create a space of my own again I can I can relate to that a hundred percent authentically that's that's beautiful so I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about like, what is a day in the, in the life like for you as you support your clients with relationship trauma slash, you know, couples therapy before you give us that snapshot though, can you just give us a sense? Like if you're working with individuals, if you are working with couples all the time and generally speaking, like what is their diagnosis or what is their reason for coming to see you? Yeah, so I work with individuals and I also work with couples. Um, and the reason that they, you know, I'll, I do get some referrals because I work out of a primary care office one day a week. So I have a couple of physicians there that refer. Uh, but overall, people find me on psychology today and they reach out if they're going through a breakup or, you know, they're on the brink of divorce and they've tried every other avenue and they kind of want something a little outside of the box. Uh, I have a lot, like desire discrepancies, you know, like people are not on the same sexual plateau as their partner and they want to know if something's wrong with them. Um, people exploring sexual identity and wanting to learn more about their bodies. Um, I'm in talks now with a, uh, which is actually a social worker, but she does sexuality counseling as well. And we're talking about putting on a pleasure workshop for women. Um, so anything within that realm. And then I have this kind of minor niche that's completely <laughs> not in line with any of this in ADHD. Uh, for some reason, I get a lot of referrals for ADHD. <laughs> so I also have like this kind of niche within a niche as well. And do you take insurance, Tanya? I do not. I do not. And the reason for that is, is because I want to see my clients for as long as they need to be seen for. I want to, ha- I want them to have more autonomy over their treatment. Um, so I do provide a super bill. I do everything through simple practice. So they get a super bill once a month that they can submit to insurance if they'd like to. But nope, I'm completely cash based. It's just easiest for me. It also allows me not to have to because I make my own schedule. I make my own prices. I don't have to be, you know, trying to get people in and out like like you do in traditional healthcare, I can spend time with them. They have access to me in between sessions through the port, their client portal. I just have so much more freedom outside of the medical model. And I know that's scary for a lot of, a lot of folks. They are, you know, are very reliant on insurance and that's great for them. It's just not something that I ever wanted to deal with. And I didn't want to be restrained.
Did you know that the third annual OTs in Public Health Summit comes with 1.6 AOTA-approved CEUs? Now, while the in-person event has sold out, you can still purchase the recordings for $100 off using the link that's in the show notes. We have a professional videography team coming in to capture every single moment of the summit, so it's the next best thing to being there. Pick up your $100 off tickets with 1.6 AOTA-approved CEUs by going to the link in the show notes. Well, you are 100% speaking my language. You know, my private practice in New York City is also private pay. Um, And I just want to do a super quick shout out to my husband, Doug Vestal, who runs Freedom of Practice. He actually helps OTs start their own private pay practices, really tapping into sort of the values that you really mentioned here in terms of freedom for both themselves and their clients, Um, definitely making like an incredibly real impact. And then let's, let's also be really frank and say like, there's so many upsides such as less paperwork, you know, less restrictions. Mm And Tanya, you really strike me as someone who is out of the box. You know, you really have a vision. And when you see something, you write, that's kind of the way you want it to be executed. And I, I, I personally, through my own personal experience and seeing the students that Doug support, private pay is an incredible avenue for that. Um, So anyway, I just, I, I, I love that. I love your vision. It's very clear. Um, and so I, yeah. I, I totally get it. I love that. Shout out to Doug. I love his content. I follow him on Instagram. <laughs> oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm a little biased, but yes. <laughs> so will you, will you walk us through kind of like what a day is like for you as you support your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I have two offices. I have one in my local neighborhood, which I'm in upstate New York. So I'm kind of if you're familiar with New York at all, I'm halfway between Utica and Syracuse. So I have an office about literally less than a mile from my house. And I treat out of there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Wednesdays, I treat in Syracuse out of a general practitioner's office. Um, I say general practitioners, but it's it's a functional medicine. And we're all independent. And it's just a really cool collaborative environment. Like we're all we're all treating outside of the traditional medical model. So there's a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens there. So I love that. And then on Mondays, I do telehealth. And my days are whatever I schedule them to look like. I do have clients who come weekly, um, who have, you know, their sessions scheduled every week. And I have clients who come, you know, once a month. And I just kind of create my schedule around whatever the needs are that week. You know, I I get my kids on the bus every day. I try to get them off the bus at least three times a week. So um, I have a lot of flexibility in my schedule, which is really, really important to me. It's one of the things I struggled with um, when I was, you know, like working at the hospital full time, I felt like a caged animal. <laughs> Honestly, I, I needed I need more flexibility in my day. Um, so and it could be anything from a couple who's just trying to work on communication strategies and improve intimacy and connection to a woman struggling with her sexual identity, who's trying to find ways to express herself and dealing with, you know, a lot of societal trauma and religious trauma, like it could be anything. I just, I love it because I just get such a variety. I meet the coolest people with the coolest stories. Um, Yeah, so it's a little different every day, but I have a lot of control over how much I make and my schedule. So it works for me. It's a a dream. It's it's an absolute dream. It is. 
Do you find there are certain, I mean, maybe it comes in waves, but are there certain um, periods of a person's life that you tend, that you tend to be supporting? You know, is it before pregnancy? Is it post, uh, postmenopausal? Like, are there, do you find yourself attracting a certain type of client these days? I get a lot of recently, probably within the last month or two, I've had an influx of middle-aged couples who've been together for a long time and they're just either, you know, they're fighting a lot or their sex life has dwindled or they just need a little bit of support. And I also get a lot of couples who are actually have decided that they are going to separate and they just need help with navigating that and communicating and co-parenting and all that stuff. So a lot of like role delineation, a lot of life transitions. Um, I have a few younger clients who are, you know, like college aged who are navigating sexuality, uh, who are wanting to learn about their bodies and how their bodies work, how their pelvic floor works. And so, yeah, I get, I get a pretty cool mix. I would love to hear a little bit more about I guess how, how you use pelvic floor knowledge, you know, like I, I know you had mentioned you took OT pioneers, you took a sexuality course, like where, where do you, do you find yourself weaving in education? Are you giving them, you know, exploratory practices to do at home, whether it's alone or with their partner? Like, how do you bring in the pelvic health piece to this? Yeah. So as we know, like pelvic health is related to everything. I mean, trauma, stress, anxiety, sexual health, at the center of all of those things is the pelvic floor. So I actually do have like a pelvic floor model. And even if I'm just working on some working with somebody who's just trying to, you know, regulate emotions, they maybe have a history of trauma. Uh, and they're just trying to not be so anxious all the time, we do a ton of psychoeducation on the pelvic floor and how it's related to anxiety responses. And I do a ton of um, polyvagal and how all of the vagus nerve is connected to all of that and the different parts of the vagus nerve and how it all interplays with not only our brain, but also our pelvic floor. And if our, you know, like if our jaw is tight, our pelvic floor is also tight. And a lot of people are, have no idea the role that pelvic floor plays in mental health and overall physical health as well. So a lot of education, a lot of psychoeducation. I do a lot of breath work you know, mind-body techniques, progressive muscle relaxation, grounding techniques, all of that. A lot of uh, education on what the pelvic floor is, what the muscles are, you know, that, you know, the outside that you see is not your vagina, but it's actually your vulva. Um, like a lot of that too. A lot of um, people just being comfortable with that part of their body and tending to it and being okay with sexual expression. There's so much interwoven tabooness. Um, and a lot of people, they just like having a safe space that they can come and talk about all those things. Like I'm experiencing vaginal dryness and my gynecologist kind of brushed it off, but it's really impacting my sex life with my partner, like stuff like that, all different stuff. And we talk about the pelvic floor and what happens to the pelvic floor when you're sexually aroused. And so, yeah, it's interwoven into pretty much everything. Your clients are so lucky to have you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm lucky to have them. This is so awesome. Do you offer internal work to your clients, Tanya? I do not. Like I said, I was planning on it initially when I uh, signed up for the Herman and Wallace, but it was canceled and I never pursued it. And I really like the, I really like the approach now. I do refer to pelvic floor therapists a lot. Um, and there's one that works out of the office that I work out of in Syracuse. So I do refer to them and I educate clients on what they do. 
but I do not do manual. No. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I have kind of like more of a big picture question for you now, which is why can you share with us your perspective as to what qualifies us as OT practitioners to be sexuality counselors? Oh my goodness, this is such a good question. And I will also preface this by saying I have taken additional courses and coursework. Um, uh, Dr. Catherine Ellis is an OT actually, who has a certified sexuality OT program. So I went through that and I'm currently enrolled in the um, Integrative Sex Therapy Institute to become a certified couples and sex counselor. But those are things I've chosen to do, you know? OTs already have so much knowledge around the body, the mind, you know, how all of those things are incorporated. We're very holistic. We definitely are good communicators and collaborators. We're effective in interdisciplinary team members. And as you have said yourself, I've heard you say this so many times, the pelvic floor is involved in like so many ADLs, so much basic functioning. OTs are just, I feel like we're made for this. We're good at addressing trauma. We're good at all the sensory stuff. Um, and we, I think we kind of have a have an advantage over, you know, the traditional mental health counselor or social worker or therapist because we can do body work. Like we can incorporate somatic experiencing and that kind of stuff into our sessions where, you know, other therapists who are not manually trained can't. So even if you're not doing internal pelvic floor work, you can still do other types of manual work to help, you know, with muscle relaxation and facilitation and that kind of stuff. You're, you're, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. That is, that is awesome. Yeah. I, I, so, so just to reiterate, you know, there are courses out there certainly to kind of step more into that expertise, but do you think that when OTs graduate from OT school, that we are equipped to discuss sexuality and support our clients with their sexuality? I think we are generalists when we come out and we, at least in my program and also the program that I taught in, we did not get a lot of sexuality training. I think we're definitely well-equipped. I think we have a great foundation, but I do think if this is something that you want to explore maybe in private practice or full-time, that a little bit of extra information, a little bit more coursework would definitely be a good thing. But we do have enough knowledge about, you know, role delineation and, communication strategies and that kind of stuff where we could create a practice around that aspect too. There's just so much that we can do. Like our scope is huge. So it can be a great thing, but it can also be kind of a, a scary thing because we're like, what are we allowed to do? What aren't we allowed to do all the time? And I feel like it's very similar to what we hear when OT practitioners are exploring pelvic health. It's kind of like, usually they call their state practice act and they're typically hearing something very similar along the lines of as long as you can demonstrate continuing competency, you know, as long Mm -hmm. as you've taken coursework that enabled, that equipped you, that prepared you for it. And so I I guess what I I didn't ask the question very well, I think what, and, but you did, you, you helped me clarify a little bit exactly what I was trying to say, which is as OTs, it's in our scope of practice, right? We know it's in our practice framework. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do believe a lot of the mental health work we've done and really just kind of the way the what we're brought into into, throughout OT school, we can step outside. And then if we choose to continue to take additional courses, like 
100%. It is it is mm-hmm. in our wheelhouse, whether it's something you're pursuing full-time like you are, or because we're pelvic floor therapists, sexuality is absolutely yeah. part, part of some of the trials and tribulations our clients might be experiencing. And so maybe taking a couple additional courses to be able to be more confident in supporting our clients in that area of their life. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, just the fact that OTs are, they have such a deep understanding of function and dysfunction and physical and mental health. Like those are all things that is so beneficial when you're talking about issues related to sexual function, overall sexual well-being. We're also great at actively listening and empathizing and facilitating open discussions. And sometimes that's exactly what clients need. They just need a safe space to discuss these things. And I always tell them right from the beginning, I'm here as a guide. Like, I'm not here to fix you. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to liberate you because everything you need to heal or whatever your goals are is already inside of you. And sometimes you just need a little help unlocking it. And that's what I'm here to do. So beautifully said. I love that. Tanya, would you mind sharing with us kind of like how a few sessions would go with a client who is you're supporting who might be experiencing vaginismus or maybe some other common diagnosis that that you treat a lot, but just to give us a little bit more of like a peek underneath the curtains of what progression looks like when they work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So of course, I always start with assessment and evaluation. Um, and step one is just creating safety. Uh, they're coming in, they're talking about things that are really intimate, that they're not things that they really talk about probably on a day-to-day basis. Some do. I definitely have clients who are very comfortable and talk about sexuality every day of their lives. But I also have clients who have like, I've never, you know, I've never talked about this with anybody. It was a taboo topic growing up. I went to a Catholic school. We weren't allowed. It was, you know, it was very abstinence and fear-based. So step one is always just like creating a safe space, creating a rapport, uh, allowing them to know that you are not there to judge them or tell them what they're doing wrong. Um, a lot of people think that's what like mental health therapy is. It's like they're going and somebody's just telling them all those things that are wrong with them. So first of all, just addressing anything like that in the first session, like what do you expect this to look like or what do you need to feel safe? What, what can I do to support you and make sure that we do everything you need us to do together? Um, so that is like step one. So an evaluation, I'm looking at I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at mental health. I'm looking at physical health. I'm looking at the relationship health. If they're in a relationship, is it, you know, is it a supportive, healthy relationship? Is it kind of a not so supportive or healthy relationship? All of those things impact sexuality and sexual expression. So I'm looking at all of that. I'm looking at physical health, like age, chronic illness, you know, any diagnoses that they might have, any mental health diagnoses, alcohol, drugs, um, sexual history or, you know, history of abortions or miscarriages or unplanned pregnancies, all that, all that stuff. Um, trauma. I give almost every single client I see, I send them the ACE prior to our first session. It's very, very important for me to know if they have any history of trauma because I need to approach different topics, you know, in different ways so that they feel comfortable and I don't re-trigger them. Uh, So all that kind of stuff. Uh, Let's see what else. Um, You know, and then we do a lot of psychoeducation, like what happens when during arousal, what physically happens, what mentally happens, what's desire, how does that work within our body? We talk a lot about hormones and I don't know if it's the time of year or because people are like more 
I don't know, introspective right now, but I've been, I've had at least five clients in the last two weeks bring up hormones and how their hormones and their menstrual cycle are impacting their relationships and their work and their partnerships. So I've been doing a lot of referring to gynos and primary care physicians for hormone testing. Um, pain, definitely assessing pain. If they have chronic pain or if they experience pain during intercourse, um, how often I have them rate their pain and what it impacts in their day-to-day -day life. Um, yeah, and then we kind of create a treatment plan together. It's a very collaborative process. Again, I'm outside of insurance. I'm outside of the medical model. And I have a, I have clients who, you know, they come in with one, they come in with like vaginismus and that's not really where they want to start though. They want to just start with being comfortable talking to somebody else to even create a relationship. So very client-centered, very much meeting them where they are. Um, we talk about gynecological conditions. Um, I also have a lot of clients who come in with no diagnosis. Like they're just going through a really bad breakup and they need somebody, they need support. And they're trying to navigate transitions or they're going through a divorce and or they're dating for the first time in two decades because they've been married and now they are you know, they have a life transition coming up and they don't even know where to start <laughs> because the dating seems so different than when they dated. So it's such a wide variety and it's really about being flexible and meeting them where they are and collaborating with them to what their goals look like so that we have a destination to navigate to. It sounds like you barely have a dull moment in your day. <laughs> <laughs> it's good though. I like it. I like it that way. <laughs> I completely, I completely agree. And and just to clarify, when you mentioned the ACE, um, were you talking about the adverse childhood experiences quiz? Yes. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. I just want to make sure that I was, I was getting that right. Um, beautiful. And I know you had mentioned that you get some referrals from psychology today. How else are you getting most of your clients? I have to say psychology today is my number one referral source. I would say I mean, my statistics on there like are thousands and thousands of views. So for anybody who's in the mental health realm, I highly recommend Psychology Today. It has great SEO. So and it's pretty much if anybody puts in my area and puts in like sex therapy, I'm like one of the top three clinicians that comes up. Um, so word of mouth. I have a lot of clients who just say, hey, I'm working with so and so and they do this. Uh, and then the physicians that I work with on Wednesdays in the Syracuse office, I get referrals from them. I have been kind of planning on, I haven't done this yet, but reaching out to gynecology offices just to kind of get in with them. So I have different ideas in place <laughs> that I want to pursue eventually, but I've been so lucky with psychology today. I've really built a pretty good caseload just from that website alone. That's incredible. I, I, you are not the first person I've spoken to, you know, who practices in mental health, who has, who has touted that I'm in the middle of working on a public facing directory for OTs and public health. And my goal would be that it is that helpful <laughs> with clinicians Ooh, I love that. for connecting, you know, finding therapists with practitioner matches. So that's, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that it's working for you. Tanya, is there anything that comes to mind in terms of like something that has surprised you along your journey, uh, a particular client interaction an intervention, just anything that kind of comes to mind that when you look over how your career has grown the last couple of years, kind of, kind of comes to mind as a pivotal point for you or yeah, just something that surprised you um, in your work. Ooh, that's a really good question. Thank you for asking that. I got to think about that for a second. Being where I am with the type of 
diagnoses I work with and what people are looking for, just the, you know, what's really been surprising is the absolute lack of knowledge that we have about our own bodies and our sexuality. The fact that so many people don't know their body parts or even the basic mechanics of sex is that has been extremely surprising for me. Um, you know, I think we have an idea of what we think sex is supposed to look like. And if it doesn't look like that, we get very nervous. Um, and one of the primary questions, I've probably been asked this more than any other question is, is our sex life normal or is this normal? People are constantly wondering if what they're doing with their partner is, is okay. Like they're questioning it. So that's been surprising. Um, and I knew people were uncomfortable about sexuality, but I did not realize the lack of just basic knowledge around it is such a, is so huge. I know. And I mean, I, I may be misquoting this, but I think that there are only 13 states in the nation that require sex education to be medically accurate. And mm -hmm. when you think about that, it's like, goodness, no wonder, you know, this people aren't comfortable with their bodies and how that changes when you're in a relationship with someone. If you're not even understanding with the base knowledge around yourself and your needs and your boundaries and kind of like your desires. And then when we emerge with another person, it's like, yeah. well, you know, I, I, I am so passionate about that education, getting into the hands of, of people so much sooner, because I really think that it can we can create so much more connection to self, so much more availability to our partners. And we're all see seeking connection. That's how our conversation started off today with, you know, you even finding this, this focus that you have. And it's like, let's facilitate and make that simpler. And what a basic way to actually start off by giving our children medically accurate information from the beginning. Yeah. And I, you know, I can only speak for myself and the education I received growing up um, in school and it was medically accurate, but it was very, very basic. And it was very, very fear-based, uh, very abstinence-based. So there's not a lot of knowledge around the opposite of that. Like eventually you probably are going to have sex. So what does that look like? You know, how do you approach it? Like we don't get this stuff. And a lot of couples that come in to see me, their primary issue is they don't know how to communicate about their needs. They don't know how to tell their partner what they want or what they desire. And they don't know how, and it leads to conflict and they get stuck in the cycle of constantly arguing over the same thing over and over and over again. And it impacts everything, it impacts their connectedness, it impacts their intimacy, it impacts their sex life. Uh, but like, I, I always say that, like, we didn't get this. Like we never learned this. And we all communicate, especially men and women, and so differently. So learning to communicate with empathy and active listening skills and validating and just mirroring back what your partner is reflecting to you, like all those skills, they seem so basic, but they're so integral to the entire partnership until, you know, sexual satisfaction is all incorporated. Well, you're, you're exactly right. And it, it reminds me just even how would people think about OT, right? Because on the surface, OT seems quite, quite simple, but I always say simple doesn't mean profound, that it's not profound. Simple is profound. And mm -hmm. so the, this idea that we have, you know, these two beings that have come together and aren't sure the basics around how to communicate needs, because there hasn't always been great models, or we haven't made this a comfortable conversation. We're doing such a disservice, you know, and so mm -hmm. I, I hope that anyone listening to our episode today, you know, is inspired in some small way to take a step in their own work, 
because as OTs, we know this is in our practice. We know this is in our scope. And so it's like, what a beautiful way to add to quality of life by being able to hold a space to have these conversations with our clients like you were doing, Tanya. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much anxiety in the world right now, you know, in all of us. And, you know, anxiety restricts blood flow. It's, it makes you less responsive sexually. So a lot of people come in and they're very, very anxious. And they're like, I I think I'm asexual. I'm like, well, (laughs) it's possible. But also, let's talk about your anxiety and how that interplays with your sexuality and your connectedness with your partner. You know, it reduces blood flow. And in order to be even aroused, you have to have sufficient blood flow. So let's start there. Uh, We talk a lot about, you know, are they on any medications, that kind of stuff, just get the basic kind of history and then refer out as needed. So Awesome, Tanya. This has been so refreshing and such a delightful conversation. Of course, I'll have uh, you know additional resources in our show notes, but for anyone listening today, how can people find you? How can people connect with you? Uh, my website is uh, tanyapeterson.me, and that's also my TikTok and Instagram handle. So that's where I am. Okay. Fantastic. We'll be sure to check you out there again. I am so grateful for your time. Thank you for the work that you're doing out in the world. Uh, we, we really appreciate kind of stepping into do a day in the life of Tanya Peterson today. <laughs> as crazy as it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. This has, been, this has been really fun and an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of OTs and Pelvic Health. If you haven't already, hop onto Facebook and join my group, OTs for Pelvic Health, where we have thousands of OTs at all stages of their pelvic health career journey. This is such an incredibly supportive community where I go live each and every week. If you love this episode, please take a screenshot of this episode on your phone and post it to IG, Facebook, wherever you post your stuff, and be sure to tag me and let me know why you like this episode. This will help me to create in the future what you want to hear more of. Thanks again for listening to the OTs and Pelvic Health Podcast.